I'm sure all of you have seen the ads on television or perhaps know of people through the news or perhaps even your own personal experience. People who have gone through a transformation, if you will. Uh, They were one way before and they were another way after. Uh, Perhaps you've seen ads like this one where someone, after they've applied some different kinds of makeup, they look different than they did before. Or perhaps you know celebrities, as I've said, that uh, have lost a a large amount of weight. That washed out on that screen over there, but she's a lot skinnier in that picture as she is in this picture. And you perhaps know people who have gone through medical procedures. They were one way, but after they went to see a doctor or a dentist, uh, that it changed. There was a before and there was an after. Uh, Perhaps you uh, know Jennifer Hudson, how that when she first came on the scene, she was a bit heavier than she is now, but because of putting forth some effort and because of uh, wanting to uh, look better on stage, if you will, uh, we got a before picture and you've got an after picture. And we think about these different people and we read about them in the news, but sometimes we know people uh, that um, go to see a doctor and, and we notice the change in them, but sometimes we even know people personally that we've seen a great change in. Uh, some of you don't know, maybe don't know who this is, but this is my oldest son, David. And the girl beside him right here is his daughter, Carrington. This is when she was just a little bitty baby. And my son, David, weighed a little over 350 pounds in that picture. But he decided to make a change. He wanted to, um, because of this baby, wanted to change his life so he could live a long time and be around for his children. And so now, this present day and age, he looks like that. He's around 200 pounds or so. Um, but... That transformation just didn't happen magically. Uh, There was something that took place in between here that caused that to change. He didn't say, well, tomorrow morning I'm going to be 100 pounds less, uh, but something had to happen in between to change that. You see a before and we see an after, but yet we understand that to be an after, there has to be something that takes place in the middle. Now this morning I want to talk to you about before and after from a spiritual standpoint. Today we're going to be looking at one of those amazing texts that we have in our Bible. Uh, There are several like this in our Bible that emphasize the fact that we have been changed, that there were certain ways we were before, but now we're something after, and it gives us the means how that particular thing took place. These lessons are wonderful because these lessons boost our Christianity. These lessons give us a shot in the arm when we look at these kind of texts. And I thought it would be appropriate today also in the fact that we're going to be having a special contribution today to be reminded of what we used to be, but what we now are, and what the reason is in between that we were able to make that particular change. I'm not going to be talking about any new earth-shattering thing today as far as Uh, the lesson you're going to hear, but I think it's good that from time to time that we go through certain texts and re-emphasize them and make sure that we understand what the text is saying and get the full impact of what it's saying. So this morning we're going to be talking about the picture that is painted in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. We're going to have this on the screen, but you can also open your Bible and make notes if you like as we talk about the before and the after And what was in between that made the difference? Now, first of all, this morning, obviously, as we look at the text, we need to look at the before picture. And Paul paints for us a very grim before picture when he's talking about you and I. 
Notice what the text says. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now I want you to think about for a moment because you maybe have read this text many times, but I want you to think about the ugly, ugly picture that this paints. Notice what the text says. It says, first of all, that we were without Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 reminds us that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. That means that there was a time in our life we when we didn't have Christ in our life, when we really didn't receive any spiritual blessings whatsoever. Now, there were material blessings because God sends the rain both on the just and the unjust. But there was a time before when we received no spiritual blessings whatsoever. Now, as we keep looking at this picture of before, I want us to make sure we understand that this is a description If you are here today and you're not a Christian, this is a description of you right now. You're still in the before state. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, you need to be thinking about the fact that this is the way you used to be. This is the situation prior to you becoming a Christian. You know, sometimes before we can really realize how bad things are, we have to look at something and realize we have hit rock bottom. Sometimes it's walking up to a mirror and looking at yourself in a mirror and you realize, man, I've let myself go. Or perhaps you uh, stand on a scale and the scale says, one at a time, please. Or perhaps you run into someone and you realize that you have changed so much they don't recognize you. Or maybe it's walking up some stairs or maybe whatever the situation is, there comes the realization in your life Man, I have got to do something. Something has got to change. There's a change that needs to be made. And so once again, as we look at this text, I want to make sure you understand and appreciate the fact that this should have been a point in your life before you became a Christian when you realize how bad it really was. And it all begins with the fact, as Paul tells us, that we were without Christ. But he goes on in the text... It says, we were aliens and strangers. Now, we understand what it means to be an illegal alien, because that's in the news a lot. Uh, That's someone who is an alien, someone who is a foreigner from our country that is here, here illegally. But I don't think that we fully appreciate the fact that there was a time that we were illegal aliens here on this earth. We were enjoying all the benefits of this earth. We were enjoying all the blessings that God gave us. But yet we were aliens and strangers, as the text says, from the commonwealth of Israel. Now I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But make sure you understand how awful it is to be an alien or a stranger in a country that you're not supposed to be in. I have never lived overseas. I've had the opportunity to visit different places overseas, but I've never lived overseas. But I know people who have lived in foreign countries. 
the other day, Jeremy and I were, talk, were talking about a member that is at his dad's congregation where his dad's an elder, and he's a young, well, he's not a young man now, he's my age, so he's not a young man, but a man that I've known for many years because I went to school with him. And when he got out of school, he immediately went over to the Ukraine and never been to, to Russia, never knew, really didn't know a whole lot about Russia, but he went to Russia and became a missionary there and lived almost his entire life, just recently coming back to the United States. But when he first got over there, there was a lot of adjustments he had to make in order to fit in because he realized that he was an alien and a stranger in this country. For example, even though he might not know what it was or maybe didn't under, appreciate uh, the name of something, but if somebody put something down in front of him at a meal, he was going to eat it because he did not want to offend his guests because he was in the interest of trying to be all things to all men that he might convert some. But he told me about how one time him and his wife Carla were at a, 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 a place and the lady brought out an appetizer at the beginning of the meal and it was a plate of pig fat that has been just sliced. Hadn't been cooked, just raw pig fat that you put on a cracker and eat. Uh, I remember that because when he told me, he says, that was one of the hardest things I ever did when I put that fat, just plain old fat in my mouth with a cracker. My point in that is that it's rough being an ailing and a stranger in a country, but Paul wants to emphasize this particular point. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise. In other words, we were Gentiles. We were not God's chosen people. God hadn't made a covenant with us. God hadn't put us in his very special commonwealth or the idea that God had chosen these group of people above all to be the people that he wanted to redeem. We weren't a part of that. We had no right to be a part of that. We had no covenant relationship with God and we had no reason to ever expect that God would choose us above anybody else to be his special people. That's the picture before. But then he goes on and says, having no hope. Because these other things were true, we were without Christ and we were aliens and strangers. We were people without hope. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 reminds us that our hope is that which is sure and steadfast, that is the anchor of the soul, the thing that keeps us going through the darkest times of our lives, are, is hope. But there was a time when we were people who had no hope. Uh, we maybe could hope that we had hope, but we had no hope. Hope is the thing that drives our Christianity. In the catacombs in Rome, if you go on a tour down through there, every so often along the walls you'll see different things that are written, but there's one word you see written a lot. In the Greek, it is E-L-P-I-S, ellipsis, which is hope. Hope is the thing that drives Christianity. But imagine a time in your life when you had absolutely, positively, without a doubt, no hope whatsoever. And the reason being, as Paul tells us here in the text, is because we were without God in the world. It's one thing to be without God, but imagine what it would be like to be without God in this world. When we think about all the terrible things in this world, when we think about all the things that we have to deal with, the sin, the tragedy, the death, everything that goes along with it, uh, it's one thing to be without God, but to be without God in this world? The story is told of a 
father and the son out in the yard, and, and they were, he was help, the little boy was helping his daddy uh, weed the garden around uh, the back of the house, and, and they were pulling up weeds. And the boy came across a weed, and he pulled on that weed, and he pulled on that weed, and he couldn't get it to come up. And finally, his father walked over there. He says, son, you can't get that weed up. He says, no, daddy, it feels like the whole world's pulling against me. And sometimes we think about that, and we think about the fact that's the same way that we feel, that the whole world is pulling against us. But imagine thinking about the whole world pulling against us, and we're without God in this world. What a terrible, terrible picture Paul paints for us here in the before. In fact, Paul, how do you want to sum it up? If you were to sum up our situation, our before picture, what would it look like, Paul? Well, he tells us earlier in the chapter when he says, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Folks, our before picture, we were dead, dead. We may have looked at our lives and thought we were living a, a, a bright, vibrant life, full of life, and everything was just seemed to be going so well. May have thought about this town being a wonderful town to live in and our homes being a wonderful home to live in, and life was just so good. But when God looked down from heaven and looked at us, all he saw was a cemetery. And he saw written on each one of our tombstones, dead in sin. We were literally the walking dead and not realizing it. That was our before picture. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But thanks be to God that there's an after picture we can paint this morning with the same text that Paul has given us, a text of so much comfort. The after picture, Paul begins this way. But now. Things might have been that way a long time ago. Things might have been that way yesterday. Things were a certain situation before, but now, right now, present tense, this is the way that it is now. But now, notice what he says, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Notice what he says as he starts painting this picture, this after picture. First of all, he reminds us that our condition has been completely reversed. In other words, whatever the situation was before, everything that took place now is completely reversed. As we go through this text, notice what he does with each thing he says in the before picture and how he completely reverses it in the after picture. But here's the neat thing about this. There's not just been a change. There's not just been a reversal. But as we're going to discover in other texts in the Bible, not only reverse, but much, much more has taken place. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the same one who wrote the book of Ephesians, as he's discussing this very same idea in the book of Romans, Notice how he emphasizes that it's not just a reversal that's taken place, not just a change that's taken place, but it's an overwhelming change. I think sometimes we as Christians will make the statement, well, I know a change has taken place. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins, but we've got to realize how abundantly and how much more that change has taken place. 
In fact, look at these texts from Romans chapter 5. In verse 9, he says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're not just justified by his blood. We're not just saved from wrath through him. But much more have these things taken place. In verse 15, But not as the offense, also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. The one man he's talking about in verse 15 is Adam. Sin began in this world with Adam. And so with his sin, everyone gradually becomes those who will become dead because of that sin. And if that is the before picture, when we move into the after picture, the grace of God in one man, Jesus Christ, appears. And it's much more than the before picture and being dead in our sins. Verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Much more. Verse 20, Moreover the law entered that the offense may abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Now I'll bring these scriptures up because as we start looking at the after picture, we need to understand that there's something more than just being opposite of what we were before. There's something more than just the reverse of what's happening. But it's an overabundance of change that takes place. Something that we have done that we don't realize is the case with ourselves. Well, let's go back and look at the text that we started the lesson with. And see the reversal, this much more reversal that Paul is talking about. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, But now we are in Christ. Before we were without Christ, but now we're in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 of this same book reminds us that it's in Jesus Christ that we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. Before we were without Christ, now in the after picture, it's been changed, it's been reversed, now we are in Christ. But he goes on, he says, Now therefore, now is the case, Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Before we were aliens and strangers, but now we're legal citizens. Now make sure you understand the full impact of what he wants us to understand here. When he says the fellow citizens with the saints, he's not just talking about people who are here at church. We talk about how the New Testament explains to each and every one of us that anyone who is a Christian is a saint. They're not some kind of super-Christian, as some religions try to get us to believe, but anyone who is a Christian is a saint. But the point he's making here now is not only are we fellow citizens with the saints of the church, but we're fellow citizens with the saints of God who have ever lived, going all the way back to the commonwealth of Israel, to those who were given the very first covenant, both through Abraham and through Moses. We are now a part of a special group of people. We're now a part of a, part of a special uh, chosen people, if you will. We are God's chosen people. Before we were aliens 
and strangers. But now we're fellow citizens. But not only that, the text talks about how that we're part of the household of God. We're not just citizens now, but we have been brought into the household of God. Think about what a warm and comforting thought that is. When we think about homes, we think about care. We think about provision. Uh, We think about uh, protection. We think about love and comfort. Before we were aliens and strangers, now we are citizens. But not only are we citizens, we've been invited into the house of God and all the things that are a part of that. We have a Father in heaven that loves us very much. But there's something else that Paul makes mention of, though it's not actually mentioned in the text, which is almost weird when you think about it, but it's written all through the verses. There's another change that takes place in these verses, and that is we now have hope. Before we were without hope, but now we have hope. Now, let me take just a few moments here and make sure we understand the concept of hope. I'm afraid sometimes when it comes to our Christianity, we have a misconception of what hope means. The word literally itself means a confident expectation. Sometimes when we use the word hope, we might say something to the effect, well, I hope Karen has steak and gravy for supper when I get home. Now, that's a wish. I don't know if she will or not because I hadn't talked to her about it. Or I may say to myself, well, um, I hope that uh, there's not a lot of traffic on the road when I go to work this morning. That's just a a wish or or wanting something to be the case with really no evidence for it to be the case. But hope as we find it in the Bible is based upon evidence. It's based upon a confident expectation. It's not a wish. It's not that maybe I think so. It's not maybe getting a chance to do something. It's the idea that I have hope. I have a confident expectation because of what God has done for me. I have hope and I can cling to that hope. But here's what's odd about this text. Paul very clearly in the before picture says we're without hope. But when you start reading the after picture, he doesn't mention the word hope once. Now, why is that? It's because of the fact that everything he says in the text after this should give us every reason to have hope or confident expectation. Notice what he says in the text. These building blocks of hope as we start going through the chapter. Notice what he says. He says, we have the blood of Christ. He says, we have been made both one. Talking about how that there's no longer Jew and Gentile, but we're all part of God's commonwealth, a part of His covenant promise. Notice how it says that we have been reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross. In other words, we were enemies of God. We were something that God could not tolerate, but we have now been reconciled. We are in a right relationship with God. And as you start adding these things on top of each other, that you have the blood of Christ and you have the fact that we are now part of God's chosen people. When you think about we're no longer enemies with God, we add those things up together and that gives us hope or a confident expectation. 
In fact, in the text, Paul mentions it twice because he wants us to understand what he's talking about when he uses the idea that we're now in one body, but we now have peace. For he is our peace. And then later on, so making peace. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 or 17 reminds us that we're supposed to have a peace that passeth understanding. The peace that passeth understanding that's being talked about there is the idea of, of the fact that now we have peace. We can rest easy. We can think about the fact that we have hope here in this after picture. God has given us peace where before we were at odds with God. We were God's enemy. But then the text goes on and in verse 22 and says, In whom also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you remember how when Paul finished the before picture, after saying, and with having no hope and without God in this world, well, he brings it full circle and says, well, you've got God now. Not only do you have God, but guess what you have with God? You have a habitation of God. In other words, uh, we know what it means to habitate with someone. It's the idea of the fact that you're living in someone and someone's living with you. We are now in God and God's also living in us. In fact, he goes on and says how this works through the Spirit. Not before picture, we were without God. Now we get to the after picture. We have God, but as Paul has already said, and it's much, much more. Not only do you have God, but God lives in you. When you add all those things together, once again, think of the hope, that confident expectation you should have in your lives. So how does Paul sum it all up? How does he let us know what our after picture is like? Notice what the text says. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Now that word quickened that we see both two different times here in the text is not a word that we use very often to explain this. It's an old English word, but... Uh, it maybe doesn't have the meaning that you think it does. Uh, we got to enjoy having Annabelle and Hazel spend the weekend with us. They spent both Friday night and Saturday night with us. And Annabelle and I, we like to tell jokes to each other. And I said something to Annabelle Friday night. I said, I said, Annabelle, there's only two kinds of squirrels in the world that cross a busy street. And she said, what, Pop Pop? What are they? There's only two kinds. And I said, there's the quick and there's the dead. Now, when we think about quick here, we're not talking about someone who is, who's fast. But this is an old English word, word that means to be alive. And it's not just to be alive, but to be really alive. Uh, we even use it sometimes in our language today. Um, if somebody, say, jabbed a needle underneath the, squint, uh, the skin of your fingernail, uh, people might use the expression, well, you hit the quick there or you stab that into the quick, meaning that this makes you know you're alive because it hurts so bad. And that's the idea in the text and that's the reason why it was picked by the King James translators. They wanted us to under, understand that we now are alive, abundantly alive, who are dead in trespasses and sin. 
Verse 5, even we were dead in sins, we have been made much more alive together with Christ. And it's all based upon the fact that God is rich in His mercy and He has a great love. And by grace, ye are saved. There is the beautiful, beautiful after picture. But once again, let me emphasize that is in the case of the pictures we saw before in the beginning of the lesson, uh, even like with my son David, he didn't go from being the man he was in the first picture to being the man that he is in the second picture. Just by saying, I wish it was that way, or I want it to be that way. There had to be something in between. There was a process that he had to go through. And his particular process was he decided to become an ultramarathoner. And by the way, I'll brag on him. He got selected to take part in the Western State 100, uh, which is a very prestigious race out west. And um, he's going to be going out there in June and he's going to compete in that race. And there's very few people who get to do that. But my point is that he knew that there was something in between that had to take place in order to go from the before picture to the after picture. So how do we go for someone who was without Christ to being in Christ. How do we go from someone who was strangers and aliens to being citizens? How do we go from being people who are without hope to having hope? How do we go from being people who are without God into this world to actually having God living in us? What is the in-between thing that takes place? Well, notice what happens as we think about this in-between. Paul tells us in the text in verse 16 that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. It's all about the cross. I know sometimes uh, we think of there's all got to be all kinds of different ways that maybe we can uh, achieve a, a specific thing in our lives to go from the before and after. And even sometimes when it comes to religion, we may think there's all these different things that we need to think about going from the before and the after. But Paul tells us that all these things take place, the before and the after takes place, and it's done by the cross. The cross is that question mark in the middle, the thing that happens in between from the before and the after. The Bible has many passages that bring this out just to give you a few 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. It's about Christ dying for our sins. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, talking about Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Make sure you, make sure you understand what the prophet is saying there. God knows that we have gone astray. God knows that we have all decided to go our own way. But God has taken those, those people that have done this, and that's us, and put our iniquity onto Jesus Christ. It's by the cross is the change agent in the middle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The thing that is in the middle between the before and the after is the cross of Jesus Christ. We also understand that just simply saying that the cross of Jesus Christ is there, 
doesn't tell us enough to make us realize that there perhaps are some directions that need to be followed. Uh, we need to make sure we understand how that works uh, from the before and the after by the cross of Jesus Christ. How does that work? We need to make sure we follow the plan. We know people who have, dis- have embarked on some great journey to try to lose weight or whatnot. I know certainly I have and maybe thought that I had a great plan for losing weight, but I didn't follow the plan so things didn't work out. I saw this particular picture of how uh, this woman wanted to make a, a cake of a running man. And she had it laid down on the pan, she thought, properly. But after she put it in the oven, it looked like that. That's a reverse before and after. It went from a skinny guy to a fat running guy. My point is, somewhere in here, she didn't follow the directions properly. When she was looking at the recipe, she missed something. Maybe she was supposed to put in baking soda and she put in baking powder. I don't know, but that does not look like anything she thought it was going to be when it got to that. And we too need to make sure if we're going to have the before and after take place and it's done by the cross of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we too follow the directions. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 reminds us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The directions how we get from the before and after by the means of the cross, are found very clearly in God's Word. And because we're running out of time, we're not going to quote these particular Scriptures today, but we need to understand as we look through the Scriptures that the Bible tells us that we need to believe, we need to repent, we need to confess, and we need to be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's how by the cross of Jesus Christ we go from the before picture to the after picture. As we think about this lesson this morning... I didn't want to do it because it might embarrass someone, but if you're here today, I could put a picture, and you're a Christian, I could put a picture up there of you as a before picture and then put a picture of you as an after picture. And on the outside, you may look completely the same. But something has happened in the middle. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, a change has taken place, a dramatic reversal, and a much more than just a reversal. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you are now someone who is in Christ. You're now someone who is a citizen. You're now someone who has hope. You're now someone who has God living in you. And all those things are based upon the fact of the blood of Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross to save us from our sins. If you're still in the before picture this morning, we beg of you, we implore of you, don't stay that way. Jesus has died so you can be forgiven of your sins so that you can have that confident expectation of a home in heaven. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you don't feel that confident expectation, then something needs to change. If you don't wake up every morning with that confident expectation in your life, then I'll be honest with you, I'm sorry for you because that's really what Christianity is all about. It's thinking about, yes, I used to be this way before, but now everything has changed. It's all been reversed, and much more than just a reversal, it's even greater than that. Whatever your need may be this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing?